0: Good to see you all. Everyone get a handout? Great. Uh, we have come to the last of the neighboring classes. So it doesn't mean you won't be a neighbor anymore. It just means we won't be having a class on it anymore. So I'll uh, I'll let you know what we'll be doing next, too, as we get to the end. But I'm looking forward to... Um, to hearing from you this week too. We have some things to cover but then also some opportunities just to hear from you even as we begin. Um, I'm curious if anything's been helpful to you or how it's changed you in any way. So I'll give you a, a little bit of time to think about that while I introduce things. But um, just looking forward to this time together. It's kind of sad to me to be finishing up this class. I've really enjoyed getting to dive into a lot of these things and so um, but we can revisit these topics in the future. So why don't I pray and then we'll get started. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to gather as your people today. We thank you for how you meet us where we are and your word comes to us and changes us. We thank you that we don't sit here and stand here alone, but your spirit is at work in our hearts helping us to hear and believe the, the truths of the gospel and making us more like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that as we think about neighboring together again, that you would just help us to catch a vision for what it would look like to, for Jesus to live in our homes and in our neighborhoods and for us to follow in his steps. So we ask for your help in all of that in his name. Amen. Okay, well... Uh, I already covered the welcome to the last neighboring class. So um, just if we're thinking about 10 weeks and then there were some interruptions to those 10 weeks, that makes it sound like a bad thing. We had some extra things like a brunch and and some other uh, things mixed in there. Um, it can be hard to remember where did we even start 10 weeks ago. So just a kind of quick review as we're thinking about where we came from. We talked through some biblical paradigms as we think about life in this fallen world. The paradigms of exile and sojourner and the resurrection paradigm of how our bodies, how we think about our bodies is similar to how we think about living in the world. And how all these paradigms, they keep us from these two extremes that Christians tend to drift into. One of being separatism, where we just huddle up and build the walls higher. And the other, transformationalism, which is where we start to think somehow we can make this world into the new Jerusalem. And so, The Bible calls us to this middle of those things that has both engagement, but then realizing that we are still in Babylon waiting for the new Jerusalem. Um, And then we talked about some practical aspects. So way back, it was just interesting looking through the notes. The first thing was clearing a path, um, and it was thinking about how we use our time, building some margin into our lives so we can focus on what God's priorities are for us. In order to be neighborly, we'll have to adjust our schedules accordingly. Uh, then we talked about intentionality in building friendships, seeking out relationships with other people. Um, and then we spent a week and a half on talking about how to engage with neighbors who don't believe the same things we do living in this post-Christian world and how difficult that can be. But then the, the beauty of just engaging them as image bearers uh, in the dignity that we can show in that. And then we talked about hospitality Remember, love of strangers literally is what that is referring to. So how we can be bringing people more into our lives, both in the church and in our neighborhoods. And then uh, the last time we were together, before the brunch, Nate talked about um, boundaries, the wisdom that we need to heed the boundaries of others, and then also being realistic about our own limitations and boundaries as we think about interacting in this way. So in all of it, We've seen a need for wisdom, haven't we? It's, it's very little, thus saith the Lord, other than loving our neighbor. Uh, but the how to do that requires a lot of dependence on the Spirit and uh, thinking through these things on a day-to-day basis. But as we finish the class today, we're going to be talking, we're going to kind of zoom out a little bit from the more individual level that we've been talking about, how we love actual neighbors, to thinking about the more corporate level, thinking about loving our neighborhoods, neighborhoods, areas of where the people live. Um, So we'll be zooming out and thinking in that direction just as we wrap up. But before we do, I'd like to open it up to you. Um, Is there anything that has changed for you as we've been going through this class over the last 10 plus weeks? Is there anything that's been particularly helpful uh, as you've been thinking about God's calling in your life um, of loving, loving neighbors? So... Many of you have talked to me about some of these things privately. I think it's just cool to be able to hear it together corporately. So anyone have anything they'd like to share? Yeah, Beth? I think that my Mm-hmm.
1: That I could actually people the store just asking what kind of Yeah. So that was interesting. And then I thought of a way that people used to that that we need and
0: that is like Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, those are great. Um, I apologize to those watching at home. This is a trickier part of it. But Beth had comments about just talking more in the outings that she's already in, and then also the the ways people used to connect of um, needing things from one another and how that gets us into people's lives. Um, Just two practical things. But it's amazing how it changes things, doesn't it? yeah, appreciating people as people. Tom isn't able to be with us this morning, but one of the things that he mentioned um, during the class that came to him was he was he felt all this pressure about having evangelistic encounters, and sometimes he would try to do that, and it was very stilted and awkward. And now he's realizing maybe those were actually just a calling to love that person not so much to have to take it all the way there. And that actually could have been rather natural instead of this um, both of you walking away thinking, well, that was really weird, (laughs) you know, type thing. So just the freedom that came in that to just see if this is an opportunity to love and then see what comes from that, injecting that step. Yeah, Frank? Frank?
1: M. Mm. Really yeah.
0: so Great. Well, thanks for the plug. Yeah. So, Frank's glad there was a class on this. Yeah. I feel weird repeating stuff. It's what we got to do. It's good. Um, No thanks. And then actually coming out of this class, we're already excited, thinking about future classes to be able to dive in more to some topics uh, in particular that can be difficult to talk about or care about or like how do we engage in those things. So um, that is a continued desire of the elders to work those into the Sunday school rotation for sure. Anyone else? Yeah, Vern and then. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Right. Nice, yeah, the moving in and out gives fresh opportunities, bringing other believers in. It could be a team approach, and you're not alone in the neighborhood, so yeah, some some great things. Anyone else? yeah, Renee. Hmm. Yeah. Right. And then and um, Okay. Yeah. Right. That's great. Yeah, just uh, talking to people more putting yourself out in the way of people in a good way. Succulents are very helpful in doing that. So that's that's a good thing. Good. Okay. Well, and we could um, continue to go on and on, but um, you can also just talk to one another about these things. That's one of the things that's been super edifying for me is people just, hey, this is something that happened in my life. Like I, I um, initiated this conversation and let's see what the Lord wants to do. Um, those are great ways to build each other up and spur each other on as we're all called to this. So good. Well, let's think about one more kind of um, aspect to have in our minds. And, and hopefully, what it, it sounds like what's happening in this class is what's happening for those of us who are teaching it as well, is it's just opening our eyes to opportunities that maybe we've drifted from, maybe we never saw before, uh, and we always need kind of pulled back to those things. And so this is one more kind of category of opportunity that I, that I found really helpful and glad that we're able to cover together. And that is loving our neighborhoods. So um, we could begin by what do I mean by neighborhood? Um, basically, it's the group of people who live immediately around you. So you could think of not just your literal neighbors, but you make that circle a little bit bigger. And then it, there's also, depending on where you live, you kind of know what your community is. Like I think of us as living on like East Escondido and kind of that area over there. And And I know when you say neighborhood... Particular streets kind of come to mind. Some of you are in, like, gated communities that really kind of define that neighborhood. Uh, you could think of it as your, your district um, that's overseen by a certain municipality. So we could go into all these definitions of neighborhoods, but the group of people around you. So um, very profound, I know. Um, why the neighborhood? And there, there are several reasons for this, but but here are just two to think about. Um, And they really tie to these two things. One is you can make a difference, and the other is people can know you when you do. And so being limited and personal. The first thing is the the limitations that aren't there as much in um, our neighborhoods. So often we have a rather limited role in the big state or national problems that we think about, right? Most of what we see on the news are pretty big-level problems. And we definitely, please don't hear me in this at all saying we don't have a role to play. We do have a role to play. We be informed and voting and um, civic engagement and awareness can be a whole class in and of itself. Um, But when we think on the um, neighboring level, it, it raises problems that, we can actually do something about and do something about in a personal way, in a way that some of those bigger problems we feel much more disconnected from. Uh, so there are limitations with some of these bigger things of what our involvement can be. Second, the, the personal aspect. The people in Sacramento and Washington, D.C. probably do not know who you are. Um, And what they may know is Christians are opposed to this or Christians support this, and that is a good thing to know and be involved in. But that is far different than I know the Christian who's engaging with me about this issue. That relationship takes things to a very different level. And so at the neighborhood level, there are practical ways you can care and address issues, and you can see change happen in ways you may see a lot more slowly Um, on a much bigger programmatic scale. And so I want us to just think about that for a moment. Do you um, ever feel helpless in making a difference with the big problems that are facing our nation and our state? I often feel helpless about that. There There's ways I'm informed. There's ways I'm voting on things. um, There are petitions we sign. um, But what's been so encouraging is there's this whole realm of difference making that I think we're often overlooking that's actually right there for us. And that's what hopefully this class has been helping us see. And so I want to just read a little bit from this book, The Art of Neighboring. Sorry that sticky covers up the title. The Art of Neighboring, which has been something we've referred to in this class uh, over and over again. But I think it gives a A really neat vision of talking about how this can affect neighborhoods and not just individual neighbors. So it says at the beginning of the book, they mention in 2009, it's written by two guys, one is Dave and one is Jay. And so in 2009, I, Dave, gathered a group of 20 lead pastors in the Denver area so we could think, dream, and pray about how our churches might join forces to serve our community we invited our local mayor, Bob Fry, to join us, and we asked a simple question. How can we as churches best work together to serve our city? The ensuing discussion revealed a laundry list of social problems similar to what many cities face. At-risk kids, areas with dilapidated housing, child hunger, drug and alcohol abuse, loneliness, elderly shut-ins with no one to look in on them, and the list went on and on. Then the mayor said something that inspired our joint church movement. He said this, The majority of issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. Isn't that interesting for a mayor to say that? Um, And then later, he explained that often when people identify a problem, they come to civic officials and say something like, This is becoming a serious issue, and you should start a program to address it. Fry shared candidly with us that in his opinion, government programs aren't always the most effective way to address social issues. He went on to say that relationships are far more effective than programs because they are organic and ongoing. The idea is that when neighbors are in relationship with one another, the elderly shut-in gets cared for by the person next door. The at-risk kids get mentored by a dad who lives on the block, and so on. After the mayor left the meeting that day, our group of pastors was left to reflect on what he had shared. I, Jay, can remember sitting there, and before I could think, I just blurted out, "'Am I the only one here who is just a little bit embarrassed?' I mean, here we are asking the mayor how we can best serve the city, and he basically tells us that it would be great if we could just get our people to obey the second half of the great commandment. In a word, the mayor invited a room full of pastors to help their people actually obey Jesus. It's fascinating, isn't it? Um, and then what's what's interesting, too, is it went far beyond just that initial meeting. They had another meeting, and this time the assistant city manager, Vicki Rare, joined them. And she said, from the city's perspective, there isn't a noticeable difference in how Christians and non-Christians neighbor in our community. City outlook can't even tell a difference. That's just interesting. I'd love it to be like, Christians are amazing neighbors, and our city is aware of that. So later, a few years later, when you come to the end of the book, it says it says this, and then, then I'll be done, but I just want to kind of go to where it went after them thinking about this. It says, We are already seeing indications that good neighboring is changing our community for the better. We have received letters of encouragement from mayors, city managers, and police officers describing how this initiative is paying dividends. Recently, we received an email from our assistant city manager, Vicki Rare, the same person who challenged us to become better neighbors. She wrote, and so here's a note that she sent to these pastors. Dave and Jay, I've been working in the city manager's office for 13 years. This is the first time that I can remember going through an entire winter without receiving a single request for assistance in shoveling their driveway. Now, this is Denver. It's not because it didn't snow. (laughs) But in 13 years, this was the first time. No one has asked for help for themselves or an aging parent. Not one call. Maybe this is a coincidence, but I wonder if this is because of the neighboring movement. I guess there's no way to know for sure, but I thought you'd be encouraged. It's a pretty cool letter to get. Then they say, it's difficult to quantify the results of good neighboring. What we do know is that when we get Uh, People to know their neighbors, good things start happening. Real relationships are formed, and these relationships make a difference. Neighbors start to work together. They shovel driveways, get to know aging neighbors, notice strangers walking around, and help each other in a pinch. These small acts add up to something significant. When Jesus was asked to pinpoint the most important commandment, he narrowed everything down to love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself. He gave us a simple plan that if every believer actually took it at face value, would change the world. Do any of you have alarm bells going off that that sounds like the social gospel? You can be honest. Like, I, I have a twinge of it. Because when I hear doing nice things, it sounds like, well, that's what everybody else does, but we're about something different. <laughs> Which is a really weird dichotomy to have, right? Right? Everyone else has the loving thing down. We'll just focus on the whatever-it-is thing. Um, the truth thing could be a way of doing that. Um, and so I found what Rosaria Butterfield, in her book, The Gospel Comes with the Key. I found this to be a helpful thing to kind of put my heart at ease as I read even about that. And maybe you're further along than me that you heard all that and you then thought, that sounds great. But she says this, Radically ordinary hospitality may resemble the social gospel practices of liberal churches and non-Christian mercy communities. For radically ordinary hospitality engages in some of the same practices. We gather people in close We feed and clothe the poor. We accept the humble where they are. We care for the needs of of the body, and we seek to restore the dignity of each human being. You hear that we're about the same things, but she says this. Here's the big difference. Radically ordinary hospitality practiced by biblical Christians views struggling people as image bearers of a holy God, needing faith in Christ alone. Belief in Jesus as the rescuer of his people. Repentance of sin in a covenantal family within the church. Bible-believing Christians do not believe that a shave and a meal will help people ultimately in the long run or atone for the sin nature of us all. And so I find that really helpful just in that she's saying we do the same things, but we do it without losing sight of the gospel. And for some reason, and I don't know if I'm just twisted, But when I've seen other people who have lost sight of the gospel doing these things, there's been an impulse to say, well, let's do different things. And hopefully this has been a reorientation to, Jesus calls us to do those same caring things. So that's kind of an extended section of why the neighborhood, but just hopefully giving you a glimpse for the good that that can start to do in a community. And there's so much more that can be done. read about with that and seen. But then that brings us to why Christians, why should Christians be about caring for the places where we live and the groups of neighbors around us? And I have um, two reasons for that. One, Christians are particularly equipped to love our neighborhoods. We're particularly equipped to that. Why? Because of the love that God is working in us. 2 Corinthians five fourteen and 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, and here's the, the part that I think really relates, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Christ's love forms Christians into the kinds of people who can not just be about the things that only directly affect us, but we can also be looking to the needs around us and seeking to show love to those who are in need. And it enables us to have this self-giving, risk-taking love in our neighborhoods. And so, um, if we as we have a robust view of image bearing and the image bearers around us then part of what we have is an understanding that as image bearers work together and care for one another, and make our neighborhoods or our cities or our towns better places. What is that doing? It's putting image-bearing on display in a way that brings glory to God, and hopefully opportunities even for the gospel. It's not just that we see the glory in individual image-bearers, it's that we see as image-bearers rule well together and function well together. That's putting image-bearing, God's design, on display In a beautiful way. So, Christians are particularly equipped with the categories we have and the work that God is doing in us to be able to engage in the needs around us. Secondly, though, why Christians? Because we believe in God's providence, especially as Reformed Christians, right? We have a robust category that God is sovereignly controlling all things, even, I know this might be crazy, even having you live where you live. I know so I want to give a few disclaimers. This is my way of saying I want us to think about something hard, but I want to give a few disclaimers. Um, I know that it can be hard to live in California. Uh, I know that there are policies and trajectories of our state that makes our lives as Christians more difficult. I also know there are all kinds of practical reasons like housing costs and conscience reasons and personal reasons like where family lives and all that kind of stuff that make moving away a wise and good choice. So please don't hear this as, if you leave California, you are in sin. I'm in no way saying that. There's all kinds of good and wise reasons to do that. But while you are here, And especially if you are one who has been planted here for quite a while. We're we're going on 20 years here in California. Um, Darcy and I come from different places. But while you're here, even if it's just passing through for a while or planted here, can we embrace that God has us here for good? Um, And doing good is not just to oppose evil. That's part of why Christians are in California. That's part of what being salt and light is is opposing things that have a negative trajectory for society. But being here to do good is also to love the people who are here and to love the place where we all live. It's not wrong to say, I love living in California. We don't have to put 50 disclaimers on it. No place is perfect. It's still Babylon, right? But it's a beautiful Babylon. Um, And there are a lot of great things. I mean, Babylon had some of the wonders of the world. And I think it was okay for Israelites there to be like, those gardens are pretty cool. Have you seen those? I mean, kind of makes us think of other gardens, doesn't it? Maybe God, anyhow, that's that's not in my notes. Um, So just thinking about God has us here for a reason. One practical thing, just as an example of how we can train our minds this way. New York Times article, March 29th, headline, State Leaders Are Drafting Laws to Make California a Sanctuary for People Seeking Abortions and for Transgender Youth. You've probably seen that headline, right? It's been in the news quite a bit that this is something California is doing. Part of our response to this is to lament this, right? We realize that these laws will not be the way God desires things to be. They'll be against his moral will, which we know his moral will is truly good for image bearers, so we lament that. But can we also hear in that headline, opportunity, opportunity. Because California is on track to be a place where many people will be coming to this state because they are dealing with very difficult problems that affect very deep issues in their lives. And they will be living among us, shopping in the stores we shop in, working alongside us in our jobs, alongside our kids in their sports games. And God has placed us here And he's not surprised by California's trajectory or laws being intact, um, enacted. And he's placed us here to show them gospel-motivated love and care. And so a strong view of God's providence, it helps us see that there's opportunity for why God has placed us here and to appreciate and affirm the good of where he has placed us. So that's my little rant of like not hating California. It doesn't mean you have to live here forever or whatever. Um, and so Christians are equipped to be in neighborhoods for the good of, of neighborhoods. And so then that brings us to how should we love our neighborhoods. And I just want a, a few principles and then we can kind of brainstorm some things together. So I have three principles of how we should love our neighborhoods. One is in submission to authority. So this is as we think about what biblical principles shape how we think about living in a neighborhood. Um, many of the epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, First Peter, First Timothy, Titus, they emphasize that Christians should be people who have a posture of submission to the governing authorities. That is harped on over and over again throughout scripture. 1 Peter 2.13, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Yes, there will be exceptions to this. And Christians have dialogued for generations of where is the line with civil disobedience, right? And we all have to wrestle through that. But that doesn't nullify the fact that Scripture's posture is that Christians are typically those who work within the system in a peaceable way in submission to governing authorities. So as we think about doing good for our neighborhood, part of what should immediately come to mind is within the systems and structures that are already in place, Um, So one, in a submissive way. Secondly, in a humble way. The more um, structural of a situation that we're facing. And by that I mean, the more we move from the individual level of I'm talking with Mary across the street to I'm thinking about a concern that affects multiple neighbors in my neighborhood or even a district or whatever. The more structural of the situation we face, the more important it is to realize that there typically is no one Christian answer to that problem. That there are Christian principles that inform our our answers and our solutions to the problems our neighbors are facing. And so that's important. We're never shutting off our Bible brains. But when we think there's only one way to address it, we're, we're probably not understanding the complexity of the issue. And so Christians can disagree on how best to deal with the problems we find in our neighborhoods and in a fallen world. One of the things that's interesting is this course comes out of Capitol Hill Baptist Church, and then we've expanded it and and tweaked some things. But um, Capitol Hill Baptist Church is on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and it's a church that is populated with people who work on Capitol Hill. And they line up on different sides of issues. They lobby for different bills. They work for different politicians. They are part of different advocacy organizations, and yet they... um, They see these differing solutions to the problems that are facing their city and their nation. And one of the things that they built into their course is this section. Be sure that your eagerness to do good doesn't lead to disunity in the church. Maybe sometimes we shy away from do-good initiatives because we've seen it cause disunity, in the church, and here are a few ways that can happen. Um, you could have a passion to see some change happen in your community, and you get frustrated that other people in the ch- your church aren't on board. Um, but maybe the reason for that is they disagree on how to go about seeking that change. Or, given the different opportunities and constraints that God has put in front of them, this this issue isn't as much of a priority for them as it is for you. And sometimes we get upset by that, right? Like, everyone else should be all about this issue, and and our church should be doing this. Well, sometimes there are great things that Christians as individuals should be doing, great causes that affect neighborhoods and areas that aren't what the church's job is to be doing, but to be equipping you to be able to do those things. Um, And so it's wonderful to seek good for our neighbors, but don't let that become a stumbling block for your other brothers and sisters just because they're not all about the same particular cause in the way that you are. Um, They said in, in their curriculum, there are many streams of injustice that flow throughout society. Of course, we live in a fallen world, right? Many streams, many ways it's intersecting. And it's okay for us to care more or less about different streams as God has put us in situations to address those things. So we do it humbly, right? And then third, put your hope in heaven. (laughs) We do it hopefully, but our hope is in the new Jerusalem ultimately, and that's what enables us to hold these things lightly. Part of the reason we started this course with those paradigms like exile and um, resurrection was to make sure that our expectations for these things would be fitting with the Bible's expectations of these things. We care for our bodies, knowing that all the care in the world won't glorify our bodies, right? And so also we seek the welfare of the city, of of Babylon, knowing that we won't change it into the new Jerusalem. And so it can be easy for our hearts to drift into putting our hope into changing Babylon. It's a very tempting thing. We can get our worth and our value tied up into it. Our motivations can get twisted where... We say it's for the greater good, but really it's just because we want to maintain something for ourselves, like that can be mixed in there. It can be a tempting idolatry, especially within a democratic system where citizens really have the opportunity to enact real change that can bring with it real temptation to get too tied up in thinking this is the gospel in that sense. And so we've talked about those things. Um, Many times the things that would be good and beneficial in our neighborhood, in our state, in our country, will be opposed and thwarted. And even when good succeeds, there's something more just around the corner, isn't there? And that can get discouraging. But that's why if our hope and our confidence is in the new heavens and the new earth, it leaves us not as separatists, but it keeps us grounded where we know that our motivation is we have been so loved by Christ that we seek to show true love to others. And that is actually a powerful force for good because we as Christians, think about it, we as Christians are able to have this open-handed, risk-taking love that people who are bound up with this world as their only hope, they can't do it in the same way that we can. And so um, being rooted squarely in the age to come helps us be a powerful force for good. So we do that, hopefully, our hope is in heaven. So, um, What could this look like? This is where I want to hear from you as well. I'll throw out a few things just to get us started. But as we think about caring for more than just our neighbors, but our neighborhoods, what could this look like? One way to answer this question is to ask a question, what issues affect your neighbors? You see how as you're getting to know them, you're going to start to know what's actually affecting them And that may be different or the same as some of the biggest things that are on the news headlines. It may be much more smaller practical issues. So what are their needs? Is it hard for them to connect to one another? Are they isolated and alone? Are there ways you could facilitate connection in your neighborhood? Um, So I have kind of a list here, but I feel like if I say it, then I take everything. So why don't we brainstorm together together? And I'll let you know if I thought of anything you didn't. Hey, Mark. Good. I'm doing well. It's nice to see you.
1: Um, So in our neighborhood, one thing that a few of us try to do is if we see something unusual happening. Yeah. So crime is a big big issue. It's targeted communities and those can And so if we see a car parked in the the main street or whatever, we usually call each other. Especially if we're to go somewhere. Yeah. Way of the in, in our area, mm-hmm. try to deal with the this is an
0: example. Yeah. yeah, actually practicing neighborhood watch, right? I see those signs sometimes and I, I chuckle sometimes because I'm like, I, I don't think anybody's watching. And then I vandalize things just to try it. No, not really. That's a joke. That's a joke. Young people. Anyhow. It's a joke. <laughs> but Christians can watch out for each other, right? That's helpful. What are other needs that your neighbors might be facing that maybe we could help with? In our neighborhood, we have school
1: oh, Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah. there's a school event going on and you know your neighbors, they're going to show up there. Why not say like, hey, want to kind of go together? And that intentionality starts to cement something instead of it's just a mob of people at something, you know, relationships forming. Um, I, I, one of the ideas I read about in that book was um, they're in a neighborhood and a bunch, it's kind of similar thing. All the parents are driving into school at the same time. And so this one neighbor, they put out a table, and they brewed coffee. It wasn't even amazing coffee, he said. And they just had it there for parents. And so parents started coming early a little bit, grabbing coffee, talking for a few minutes, and then they go drop their kids off at school, and they're on with their day. And it's like, oh, wow. When you start to notice, everybody's doing the same thing. Maybe it could be collective. Yeah, Hannah. Yeah, so we're
1: food, of that we're facing, through, they didn't want, or of anything away or anything like that, we just put it there gone. The so just something
0: like yeah. that, that maybe don't have the time to go out Yeah, sharing goods that you have. Um, goods and stuff. We've our neighbors knocked on our door one time and they're like, Hey, we're getting rid of these dressers. Would you guys want them? Like before we do something else with them? And it's like, Oh, you know we live here. That's cool. So yeah, Christina? And then Pipe.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a great example and with the Ukrainian crisis for sure, it's this very relevant thing and it can have that broader thing of there are these charitable causes that help the good of humanity and we can participate and bring others in. The way you described that was great. Piper, and then Frank. And then, yeah. Um, so you're in trouble. Sorry. It just feels like if I say your name, you're in trouble. Um, we ISP, so like, we don't we yeah.
1: Somehow, yeah. like just
0: having that off, and it also about Right. Yeah. So, um, Piper was mentioning they have to fulfill PE credits for school, and so stuff you're already doing, like having to go for a run, inviting another neighbor kid to do that, or bring their dog along, or things like that. So um, again, it's that idea of, what am I already doing that someone else has to do, and could I bring them into this? Um, it's really good. So thanks. And then Frank, and then... When, we were, when our kids were young, one thing maybe they you now babies in the co And
1: you get to learn real fast about yeah.
0: And you trust your kids, so care. Sure. So vetting is very important many of these things in the are so investing really Yeah. So um for those of you who couldn't hear um child care together caring for each other's kids um that whole overlap while you said it's tricky and risky in its ways, Um, really brings you into the lives of people. Um, One of the things in the book was a lady who, um, you know, there's a bunch of young kids in the area, so she starts a craft thing once a month or something, has kids over, gives the the moms hang out, and Rosaria talks about moms coming over and planning their grocery list for the week, and then they could even divvy out either watching kids so they could grocery shop, or while you're at that store, can you pick this stuff up? So, are there ways to facilitate these things where you could say oh i could i could help bring that beyond just my my own circle good well for this for the sake of time um let me move on as well but just a few things that maybe didn't come up as much but issues of safety mark mentioned crime but like intersections that need addressed or potholes or things like that are there ways you can uh, help in, in taking care of those things. Graffiti can be a, a big issue and stuff. And then um, also opportunities for beautification and cleanup, too. And so some of that's like planting succulents out front, but are there collective areas that could look better and things like that that you could um, bring people into? So um, the, the next point on your outline, which these last two are quicker, so just in case you're wondering. Um, The second one is the church and your neighbors. And I'll I'll just summarize this more briefly. When you think of evangelism, what comes to your mind? I'll just give you a minute to think about that. When I think of evangelism, what comes to my mind are mainly individual encounters in some way. Coffee shop, door-to-door, something like that, where it's kind of this I'm with another person and it's time for the pitch, like type thing. Like that's kind of what comes to my mind. Um, But do you think of the corporate nature of evangelism? And there's a, a story from Capitol Hill of a man named Bill Anderson. He came to the church when he was in his early 60s. He wasn't a Christian. Someone invited him. He'd spent 35 years as a professor with a focus on mass psychology. And his class was The Madness of Crowds. And so he was investigating groupthink, like why do groups of people do crazy things? (laughs) Such a great question. And so he looked at financial panics and witch hunts and urban legends and like why does this phenomenon happen? But a career studying people in groups didn't prepare him for the local church. And so as he came to Capitol Hill Baptist, he was intrigued by what he saw there Not that the relationships themselves were strange, but that people seemed much more involved in each other's lives than simple self-interest would ever motivate. Um, And especially since these people didn't seem to share much in common, what was it that held them together? And so he was traveling into D.C. multiple times. And eventually that led him to the Gospel of Mark and to faith in Christ. And now he's been a member of that church for over a decade. But his story illustrates one of Jesus' most memorable teachings. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And it's not just if you have love, but it's if you have love for one another. And there's something that the community of the local church can do that cries out for an explanation in the world, um, an explanation that really defies the laws of nature. It's like a giant billboard that's screaming out, this could only happen by the hand of God, that people this different and with this many different views are loving each other this well. And so this means then that normally evangelism should be corporate in nature. So often we keep our... um, Christian and non-Christian worlds very separate. And doing that is like trying to dig a trench with a plastic shovel. Like, yes, that is a tool that could do that, but it's going to take you a long time. And then you lean back after spending a day just digging, and there's this giant backhoe behind you. Like, Eamon drove up with it, and he's just parked it there. And you're like, wow, why don't we use the backhoe? And And that's just to illustrate... Digging in evangelism just by ourselves and just that one-on-one relationship is losing sight of this whole force for good that is there in the local church. Um, Showing your non-Christian friends the life of our church should be one of the most powerful witnesses to the power of the gospel. And so mixing our social circles and bringing them in is something that Um, has evangelistic power. And so just a few suggestions with that that we've kind of talked about before, but one is just seeking ways to mix your social circles. Are there ways I could invite that overlaps happening? Another helpful habit can be just introducing your Christian friends to your non-Christian neighbors as you guys run into each other, as you meet up in the store or whatever it might be. Just, oh, this is a person um, from my church. And what it does is it helps them to see there are other people who think about these things and attend this church. And then um, also looking for ways to bring GBC people into the normal activities of your life. Like if you're going to your kid's baseball game and you bring a GBC person along and you're sitting there and you're talking and then you get to introduce them to other people that you've been getting to know on your child's team and it's just overlapping, and it's bringing a corporate nature into evangelism. So um, that's somewhat of what we've talked about a little bit before, so I'll kind of leave it at that. And then the final point is the church as neighbor. The church as neighbor, just thinking about this category. As we think about this particular neighborhood at 11th and Redwood, um, we need to recognize that our neighbors view this church building and thus this church as part of this neighborhood. And the question is, what do they think of when they see this building or when they hear of GBC? It's interesting because as I talk to people, they're like, oh, what do you do? And it's, I'm a pastor. And if they don't just turn and run away, a follow-up question they'll sometimes ask is, oh, what church do you pastor? And it's, it's Grace Bible Church. Oh, what? Tell me something about that. Okay, we're over by Sprouts. Oh, Grace Lutheran? No, Grace Bible Church. Like, we're back. But anyhow. um, But it, it raises this thing. What comes to mind when they hear GBC? And it can be easy to be seen, in particular in a neighborhood like this, as a church of people who just use the neighborhood and then leave and aren't really part of it. And so it's just good for us to think about what does our church say to the neighborhood? especially when we're here. I I know that I'm spoiled in the sense that I do drive here most days. And on the way here, I'm able to look around at the neighborhood and pray for these people and think about this community and ask God, like, why do we have a church building here? Um, And I can tell you, things have shifted in my heart over the last several years. I used to you know, be thinking, boy, if we could just have more space and if we could just, you know, have a bigger chapel or whatever. And it shifted to realizing like, but God's placed us here. Again, a a strong view of providence, right? We don't have all this money sitting in the bank to go buy some bigger place, but we have this place and we're in this community and there's so much we could be doing here as a, a thriving community of believers that would be such a welcoming testimony to this neighborhood. And this neighborhood needs people to love it well. It really does, as, as you drive around and, and see the needs that are there. And so it's been interesting to think more and more about that. And just two questions to think about, or two topics related to how we think about church as neighbor. Do we as a church show consideration for the neighborhood? we show consideration gbc is in an area with limited space and we're close to people's homes and so like how we park on a sunday um, can show whether we care about them and their sunday morning or not Um, when we were meeting outside verne and the av team went through amazing um, work there's a better way to say that but they did a lot to make sure we could still worship but in a way that wouldn't be like a nuisance to the neighborhood a way that would show consideration with how the speakers were aimed and what the decibel levels were at. Um, And so things like where we park and the noise we make and how we take care of our trash, things like that, um, all show whether or not we're considerate neighbors as a church. And that's one reason to think about what the outside of GBC looks like. I think that's a good question to think about. What does the building look like? Are people proud that our building is in the neighborhood, or is it like, that's a strange building, and if it weren't there, this neighborhood would be a better place? I think that's a question worth asking as we steward these things. Um, And then, so are we considerate, and then second, do we care? Are there ways that we can show, even just while we're here for a few hours, that we care about the neighborhood around us? I think the clothing exchange has been an amazing Way into that. And there's so much more we can even do. I mean, we've started having like coffee and things like that with it just to be like, we care, come hang out, here's some coffee, get some stuff. It's just amazing what that says to the neighborhood. But even today, um, one of the things that meeting outside really helped me see is how many people walk by while we're here, right? And I've noticed like we can have our backs to the sidewalk while we talk, and as they walk by, we can keep our backs like that. Or we could open ourselves up that shows a little bit more like we're here and we care. And it doesn't mean we're going to run after people and make them feel all weird, but we can say hi as they walk by, things like that. What's our posture as we're coming and going from this place? Is it one of care? Um, so, And then as we become caring people in the neighborhood, right? As we're, like you've been talking about, being a caring person who comes into the store and sees other people as image bearers, as they come to find out you're a part of Grace Bible Church, it helps show that, oh, Christians can be people who care. And what we'd love is when people hear GBC, they think, I have met a lot of caring people from that church. And your building looks nice. No, that's just like a, a wish that I have. But um but the the care and concern that's there. So um any other thoughts on how our church can be a good neighbor, just as we wrap up. Is anything that you've been thinking of about that, It's something great to think about, isn't it? Um, but our, our posture as we come and go, I think is something we can we can definitely think about. And then there's more long term things, especially as people from our church as individual Christians are involved in caring ways that that does an amazing thing for the reputation of a church and um, gives some good gospel opportunities. It's interesting because there's a group called Nine Marks which was started to help churches get stronger, and it kind of comes out of Capitol Hill Baptist. I never knew this before, but it was in their Sunday school curriculum. The That ministry got started because of the gift of a non-Christian. He was so impressed with how Capitol Hill Baptist Church had transformed the neighborhood that, in his words, he um, and the transformed a neighborhood was his words, that he gave them a large sum of money to start an organization that would help other churches do the same thing. Isn't that just amazing? Um, and so again, we could think, oh no, but did he know about the gospel, that that's connected to everything that we do? Well, we can get there, right? Um, it doesn't mean that we need to stop that. So hopefully this, these 10 weeks have just opened our eyes to the wonders of the good works that God has prepared already for us to do and that he's equipping us to do by the power of the Holy Spirit as we come and go from this place and as we bring others, Christian and non-Christian, into our lives. And so I just want us to continue building each other up in those things. And then I just want to tell you what's coming next. Um, Next week, Tom will be doing a Uganda presentation in here. And so some of the children's Sunday school classes will be joining us as well. You won't want to miss it. Tom is going to be wearing authentic African garb. So bring your cell phones. Like, this this will be great. We need pictures of this, right? Um, And then what's coming next? Just so you know, with... Um, with the Sunday school curriculum, we try to alternate through different types of classes. So we do practical ones like this or something on marriage and parenting or, um, so practical classes, systematics like doctrine of God, doctrine of man, doctrine of the Holy Spirit, um, Historical classes that focus on biographies of Christians or church history. And then also biblical theology classes, which help us see the story of Scripture and rich themes that are in it. The next class that we're going to do is a biblical theology of Leviticus. So that may sound either exciting to you or crazy to you. And it's good both ways, because part of the reason I'm so excited about this class is, I will confess, I look at the book of Leviticus and I read it, and I'm like, this is the weirdest book in the Bible. Like, this is so strange. And the fat of the kidneys, if I hear that one more time, I'm going to throw up. Um, And so, but I love God's word. Don't hear it in a way that's not that way. But, and what that shows is, I don't get it. (laughs) I don't get what's going on in Leviticus. And there's actually amazing things happening within that book. And it actually can be argued, Leviticus, I mean, it is the center of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. It's in the middle, and it is for a reason because it's actually a crux of a ton of rich themes that unveil throughout the rest of redemptive history. And it's just beautiful. Studying it, I am just so excited to dive into it. And just um, so you know, there's this book, Who Shall Ascend the Mountain of the Lord? A Biblical Theology of the Book of Leviticus. It's by Michael Morales. And this whole book, um, we're going to be boiling that down and unpacking it, but it's just beautiful if you want to get it and be reading along. You're welcome to do that. But just kind of distilling some of those themes I know will be good for your soul, um, and it will help when you read through Leviticus, but then it helps as you see the rest of Scripture as well because the themes that are there of dwelling with God in his holy presence— is the story of scripture. And Leviticus unpacks that in profound ways. Um, so looking forward to that. Um, good. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time together. We acknowledge that we're overwhelmed with the opportunities before us, but we're so grateful that we reach out um, as those who are loved and welcomed and empowered by you and that you have a plan and you know exactly why you've placed us where you've placed us. And so we pray that we would just be open to that and seek to walk faithfully and to see the good and give you praise for all that you're doing. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.